Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. If you're new or visiting, we go uh, verse by verse through the scriptures. And so we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, so I'm doing 1 Corinthians on Sunday morning. Pastor Tony's doing Philippians at the men's study. Uh, Claudia's uh, doing a, a, a Bible study on attributes of women uh, on every other Tuesday night. And then Pastor Darrell is doing 1 Samuel. So we encourage you to come out and get the word of God. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, let's just start in verse 1. We covered four verses last week, and they will tie into the study. So if you weren't here, the DVDs are free. Uh, Feel free to get one. They're on the walls over there. Pass them around. Um, But we encourage you to be in the Word of God throughout the week. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. We talked about this, most likely this is his stepmom. The Greek language uh, insinuates that. And I'm not a Greek scholar. You can get the books. You can figure this out yourself. And you are puffed up and not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed as absent in body but present in spirit have already judged as though I were present him who has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that we can go verse by verse and even hit these uncomfortable verses maybe even hard verses for some to understand. So I pray for the gift of teaching and that their minds and their hearts would be illuminated by your Holy Spirit via your word and other scriptures we're going to cover, that in order to be a healthy church, we do need discipline. We need to mature in the faith. So Father, I thank you for your loving hand upon this fellowship, upon every family, and upon us individually. 
You're so good to us. I pray for the gift of teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we go through this letter written to the young Christian church in the early 60s, the original 60s, we see that Paul is addressing problems that still exist today. You see, the Bible is relevant to any society or culture at any given time throughout man's history. It's just that mankind does not want the responsibility that comes with reading and learning the truths found within the Bible. You see, responsibility means accountability. If I don't know something, then how can a person hold me accountable? They can't. But once I learn it, ah, as a child, as a teen, as an adult, now I have that accountability. And that's why many people don't want to read the Bible, don't like the Bible, don't like the church. You're filled with hypocrites, right? And you're one too, so come on in. But they're afraid of coming in because that means responsibility and accountability, and they don't want that. And a society that does not live in a biblically responsible manner, think about our country and what's taken place over the last 60 years from the 60s, will succumb and crumble to the many evils that affect the whole human race. Uh, Bible was taken out of school in 62, 1962, 60 years ago next year. 63 prayer. What has happened in our schools and in our society in just the last few months in America because of that simple fact? We need the Bible. You see, Paul is willing to address some of those evils in this letter. He is more concerned about being biblically correct than politically correct. And unfortunately, this has crept into the church. The church wants to be politically correct. No, we need to be biblically correct and to be biblically correct for God so loved the world, even politicians. Hard to believe, but even politicians, tax collectors, the IRS, the beggar, the prostitute, the trans, the homosexual, the drug addict, the the thief. God loves every single person as we approach 8 billion people. So we have to make that perfectly clear in case you're sitting here and wondering, did God just love a few people? No, he loves, as we approach 8 billion people, every single person. Not every single person loves God nor loves Jesus. Matter of fact, very few do. But they have that opportunity. You see, the society that focuses on their fleshly desire, and that's what we're addressing here in Corinth, that's what Paul's addressing, the flesh versus the spirit. Are we going to follow after our flesh or are we going to submit to the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to keep our flesh in check? But the society that focuses on their fleshly desires will always, always succumb to moral decay. Always. Look back in history. There's no, no exemption. That's why we need to be, take heed to what the Bible calls discipline. And this is what this chapter is all about, and this is why it's an uncomfortable chapter. Most churches would never talk about this because it's so uncomfortable. It might scare somebody away. I'm not worried about scaring somebody away. I'm more concerned about loving somebody to hell. So if you don't know Jesus, I'm not going to love you to hell. You need Jesus as your Savior. And that's love to tell you that. that that's no manipulation. Without discipline, though, we do not mature in the faith, but we remain immature or fleshly. Even think about your own children. Those of you who have had little children, they're little balls of flesh. The universe revolves around them. So they think, 
until number two comes along, and then they fall apart. And number three and number four, we had four children. They eventually figured out they're not the center of the universe. And I let them know that real quick. Discipline helped them to mature, age-appropriate discipline, obviously, helped them to mature to become hardworking adults, which they have all become, praise God. They're not sitting around waiting for a check from the government. They're out working. They're out paying taxes. They're out doing what they know they should be doing to have a healthy society. This is what's happening in our society. Unfortunately, that's not happening. Our spiritual growth is very limited because we want it our way instead of God's way. But God loves us enough to show us that his way is the best way. Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9. If you're new or visiting, we're going to cover scriptures. We want to know what does the Bible have to say. See, I have 40 to 45 minutes to teach you the word of God. Not to do a song and dance up here, but to teach you the word of God. To encourage you to be reading your Bible from Genesis to Revelation throughout the week. Not just coming for a a Sunday morning meal, but reading your Bible throughout the week. Jeremiah 9, 23 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. So if you got a lot of brains, I'm a high school graduate. I don't got a lot of brains. I got a two-week memory. I wasted it in the 70s. That's just reality. So if you have a lot of wisdom, praise God. We're glad you got it. Use it. Use it for his glory. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. So you teens and 20 and 30 years old, us older people, it's having a hard time opening a jar now. So we're not glorying in our might. But you younger people might be able to do a lot of things that we can't do, and that can give you an attitude. Wow, look what's happening to this old person. Don't glory in that. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. And personally, I think every one of us in this room are rich. We've got a house. We've got one, two, three toilets. Uh, We've got clean running water that we flush. Uh, We drink water. We have a refrigerator. We're all rich. But maybe you've been blessed with a lot of wealth. Maybe you've just been really, really blessed with a lot of wealth. And that's allowed you to take ease in your life. And maybe you don't read your Bible because, you know, everything's fine. I I don't have any issues. Everything's okay. Don't trust in your riches because this government's coming after them, and they're going to get them. You don't don't offer up a $6 trillion budget with nobody paying for it. It's coming down. It has to be paid for. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. Guys, when we think of 8 billion people, think about this. When you think of 8 billion people and a fifth of them are Muslims, are they worshiping the God of heaven? No. How many are atheists, communists, socialists? That, that's half the world's population, if not more. Are they worshiping God? Do they know who God is? No. Does God, is God not reaching out to them? He is. He absolutely is. His Bible says he does. All of creation speaks of the handiwork of God. He's not giving up on anybody. But they don't know him. I mean, when you really start analyzing Roman Catholics, now I'm not bashing religion. I was raised a Roman Catholic. I knew who God was, but I didn't care about him. And most Roman Catholics do. Don't. You might think, oh, that's mean to say. I just like speaking reality. If they love God, praise God. Because I did get saved, and I stayed in the Catholic Church for seven years. 
before I came out of the Catholic Church. Because the Catholic Church teaches it's the Bible plus church teaching. And if there's a contradiction, church teaching supersedes the Bible. And I had to say, no, that's not what my Bible says. Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, I mean, just lay it out there. So you, if you know God as your Savior this morning, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you know God personally, let's read that again. But let him, her, who glories, glory in this, that he understands and knows me. Guys, we're of the minute percentage of this world who literally knows God. Should we ever have a bad day? (laughs) No. Now, we will have bad days. But if we really believe the word of God, he works all things together for the good. And it might be painful getting there. And you may be painful or I may be painful till the day I take my last breath. But he's doing a work in me just like he's doing a work in Paul, remember? He was doing a work till Paul died. His most likely his poor eyesight. He could heal many people, but he didn't get healed himself, totally. He went to the grave with his ailment. But he did not stop seeking after God. That I am the Lord, exercising what? Exercising loving kindness, judgment, What are we covering in 1 Corinthians? Judgment. We need judgment. Judgment and righteousness on the earth. Now, righteousness is just being right with God. That's a big word for just being right with God. So you and I, we sinned this past week one way or another. Hopefully, we acknowledge that and said to God, God, I'm sorry. And we got right with God. That's all that means, just being right with God. Very short list, always going to God. God, I'm sorry. And all of a sudden, boom, you're right with God again. For in these, what does the Lord say? I delight. So if he's saying in these I delight, what doesn't he delight in? Well, then he doesn't delight in wisdom or might or riches. He's in heaven. What could we give to him that he doesn't already have? Nothing. So as we go down this road and we see our country going down this road, which is very grieving, very, very grieving, we have to keep our eyes on heaven. None of this is surprising God. None of this is confusing God. The Holy Spirit's going, what happened? I don't know what happened. Was it the machines? I don't know. What happened? God's not wondering that at all. This is all a part of the plan because Jesus is coming back right on time and nobody's going to stop him. Nobody. So as you and I go through these verses here in Corinthians, back in 1 Corinthians 5, we want to learn that this is a part of our life. This should become a part of our lives. Not judging people harshly or meanly, if you're new or visiting, hang in there. You'll, you'll get to the end of this and you'll understand. We don't judge people harshly. We talked about that last week. Get the CD. So we're going to pick it up in verse 5. Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now we learn what we're supposed to do in the case of this magnitude. If there's a situation in the church where a man is having sex with a woman, like today would be fornication, um, you're living together. You're not married. You're living together. That's called fornication. That's sin. Now, you might not want to hear that. You might not want to deal with that. But I love you enough to say that to you. Maybe nobody else will, but you need to know it's sin. That's what the Bible calls sin. So you have to deal with it. You have to be mature enough to go, hey, if I'm living in sin, what am I going to do about it? Paul says to deliver such a person over to the enemy so that his flesh might be destroyed. You see, the issue here is the unchecked wickedness of their own hearts. Now, as I mentioned last week, we're not sin police, we're not sin sniffers, 
We're not going around checking everybody with a magnifying glass. We're not carting people at the door. We don't do any of that, just in case you're new or visiting. We don't do any of that. But when something does come to the surface, then we will deal with it biblically, lovingly, mercy, and grace. Maybe you're immature in a certain area and you need maturity. Maybe you didn't know it was sin to live together outside of marriage. So then we take you to the word of God and we wash you in the word and we give you the the counsel of what the word says. Not what Calvary Chapel, not what Pastor Jim said. What does the Bible say? And hopefully they'll go, oh, well, I'm a believer and I want to be right with God. So thank you for educating me. Now I have to be responsible, which makes me accountable Now I need to do something with that information you just gave me. I leave the church and I go to another church who doesn't know I'm living together or I'm a thief or I'm abusing prescription drugs or I'm into pornography or whatever it might be. I'll just go and blend in with another church somewhere and go through it all again. Well, you can run, but you can't hide from the Holy Spirit. Look at 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. See, I believe what Paul is sharing with us here is not a physical death, but a spiritual death of those fleshly appetites that can overcome a person, including myself. No one is, ex- is above the flesh. We all carry the flesh with us till we take our last breath. So we need to be accountable to the word of God and accountable to one another. 1 Timothy chapter 1. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. You see, guys, as we mentioned last week, we're in a spiritual war. And if nobody is loving enough to come alongside us and say, hey, you know what you're doing? That's not nice. I see that you put things on social media. I mean, you're, you're, you're really not nice on social media. You're saying things that are really not biblical. They're not nice. Oh, what's that to you? It's mine. Don't, don't worry about my Facebook. I, I, just, I just love you enough to say, you know what? You're not being a good light with your social media. It's kind of dark. You see, this is applicable today. There's spiritual warfare. Unbelievers are looking at our lives. Having faith and a good conscience which some have rejected concerning the faith. Notice, they don't reject you, they reject the faith, but we take it as, oh, I'm rejected. Woe is me, I'm rejected. No, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting the faith because you're living the faith and you love the faith, you love Jesus. Uh, Hopefully you're not being self-righteous and all that nonsense, you're just being humble and loving and kind, speaking the truth in love. But concerning the faith have suffered shipwrecked, of whom are Hymenius and Alexander. I mean, none of us would want our names in a newspaper, right? For, for doing something sinful. And here's two guys, they get their name in the Bible for the last 2,000 years. And into eternity. Ay. Whom I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Here it is again, this thing that that Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians. So this is a biblical principle. And again, people don't want to talk about this. This is too uncomfortable. But if it's in the Bible, shouldn't we talk about it? I'm not going to skip chapters for you. We go through the Bible verse by verse. Comfortable verses as well as uncomfortable verses. Back at 1 Corinthians... And we want to learn, well, what does this mean to deliver such a one over to the flesh? To Satan. 
Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So Paul makes it quite clear that there is no room to brag about sin. You see, when a person brags a little about their sin or the sin of others, it will eventually permeate or fill that person. Jim, you want to throw that slide up? There it is. There it is. So when a person brags a little about their sin or the sin of others, it will eventually permeate or fill that person. So it's very personal. It's very personal. We have to make it personal. So this is the analogy that Paul gives here with the picture of leaven and the loaf of bread. You see, leaven is a symbol of evil or sin in the Bible. It goes back to the book of Exodus. When we see the Israelites were about to leave Egypt, a symbol of the world, Egypt in the Bible is a symbol of the world, they were instructed to leave that with unleavened bread and every year thereafter to celebrate the night of Passover with a week of unleavened bread. It was a reminder of the haste in which the Israelites left Egypt. And as a germ, leaven starts out very small and it is used to infect, so Paul's dealing with here in 1 Corinthians, to infect the whole lump of dough. It doesn't work through half of the lump and then stop but works its way through the whole lump of dough. And so we can obviously see what Paul is getting at here. The Israelites were taken out of the world and separated unto God. As Christians, we have been spiritually taken out of the world and separated unto God. Philippians 3.20 says this, For our citizenship is in heaven. So we're dual citizens. Maybe you didn't know that. But we're dual citizens. My first citizenship is not America, is not the Constitution. Now, before I knew Christ, it was. And for millions of people today, it still is because they don't know Christ as their Savior. This is the only citizenship they have. And guys, they're going to be willing to die for it. There are people out there that are willing to go against the military, against the government, and willing to die for this citizenship. We also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I will die for that citizenship. I won't die for this citizenship. Take it all away. Have it all. What? Do whatever you want. It's all going to burn anyways in the end. Read your Bible. It's all going to burn. So what do you want to defend? The gospel or the constitution that was man-made? Based on the word of God. I don't take anything away from that. But it was still man-made. The Bible was written by men, designed by God, ordained by God, will be fulfilled. So stand on the word of God. Don't ever place anything above the word of God. So Paul gives him a physical analogy, which he then is going to transfer into a spiritual principle in verse 7. Therefore, because of these things, this is for you and I today, as we evaluate our own lives, so that hopefully nobody has to come to us in the church and say, hey, that's not right. You see, if we do it ourselves first, then we don't have to be concerned about anybody coming to us, do we? So if we just stay right with God, we don't have to worry about the pastor or anybody else in the church coming to us and saying, you know, I, I think, can, can you help me? I, I'm not quite clear. I don't think this is biblical. Can you help me? I love you enough. Can you help me understand why you're doing this? They're not going to do that. So if you're think, sitting there thinking, about, wow, this is a judging church, blah, 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 blah. No, it's not. No, we're not. Get, get your head in the Bible. You need to judge yourself first so that it doesn't have to come to anybody else. And if we would do that, we wouldn't have the problems, right? 
So important. So purge out, verse 7. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Notice that, since you truly are unleavened. You see, as from heaven to earth, God sees us as holy and unblameable. We just shared this this past week um, with, with a person. And I think it was the first time they get it, so I'm going to do it again. Got it, so I'm going to do it again. And I know I do this often, and hopefully some of you who have been here for a while have found your own pages in your own Bible. From heaven to earth, you see, without Jesus Christ, if I go to heaven without Jesus Christ, without God, all of my sins are in heaven. They're written in heaven. And so when I stand before God, and I say to God, hey, you know what? I wasn't that bad, man. Uh, Jim Remington, let me see. Which page do I turn to here? All of my sin. Once I received Jesus in the spring of 1978, from heaven to earth, from heaven to earth, from heaven to earth. Now when Satan accuses me before the throne of God, Revelation chapter 12, God looks at his book and goes, Jim Remington, I have no idea what you're talking about. He's holy and unblameable, unreprovable in my sight. I don't receive any accusation, Satan. Do you guys understand that? So now as we read this, verse 7 again, Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you are truly unleavened. From heaven to earth, God sees me always as holy and unblameable. But I make mistakes, you make mistakes. So from earth to heaven... I need to do 1 John 1, 9. I need to confess my sins that I might be right with God. God is always right with me. God is never the problem. God is never the problem. I'm the problem. And I need to be right with him. Please really get that into your head. Because the enemy will try to, to drag you down through depression or anxiety or worry or I lost my salvation or this or that. Get your head in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and know who you are in Christ. And that when judgment comes, it's because he loves you. He loves you. For indeed, Christ, Jesus, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Purge out means to cleanse thoroughly. You see, this is such an important principle for the body of Christ. When a church has someone in it who is knowingly committing sin. Now again, knowingly. In other words, um, there was a couple that came to me years ago, an elderly couple. They had been coming to the church actually for several years. And we thought they were married. We had no idea that they were not married until something happened and we found out they weren't married. Everybody thought they were married. And I'm, and I'm like, what? <laughs> you're in your 70s. You're not married? What's, what's going on? So I took them aside with love, grace, and mercy. I said, hey, guys, we, I thought you were married. What's going on? Do you, do you, first of all, are you saved? Yes, we know Jesus as, and I knew that, but I wanted to make sure that I heard it. Yes, we know Jesus as our Savior. Okay, you know the Bible, right? You've been, you've been here for several years. You've been hearing the word, you know the Bible. Yes, we know the Bible. Um, do you know that what you're doing is sin? Living together is sin. Yes, we know it's sin. So we don't have to do Matthew 18 which we'll get to. We don't, have to do, we don't have to start one, two, three, bring it before the church. Boom, it's before the church right here, right now. I don't have to bring them up front. It's just, okay, all right, we're, we're going down the steps here. Well, we got a problem then because you're coming to the church and 
I can't allow that now that I know. I mean, people think you're married and you're not married. So that means we're, if we allow you to just keep coming to the church and coming to the church and coming to the church and not addressing it, that just means we're condoning your sin. Dad, come on in. No problem. You're, you're all right. What's that going to say to the young people and to everybody else in the church? Yeah, it's okay to live together. They're doing it. And they're in their 70s. I said, well, by the way, what? why are you living together? Why don't you want to do it right? Well, you know, I, uh, let, me, let me help you. Social Security, right? And they look down. I go, you're willing to trust in the government more than God to provide for you. If you don't repent, if you don't separate, if you don't get married, you're not welcome back to the church. It was that simple. In love. And they knew. They knew I was doing it in love. Not harshness, not mean. And they go, we understand. They said it. We understand. They left. They left for probably three or four years. One Sunday morning, I see them. He's here. And he beelines down the, down the aisle to me with a big old smile on his face. He just beelines. He goes, you know what we did? I go, no. What'd you do? We got married. He goes, good for you. Can I come back to church? No. Yes, obviously. Come on, man. Come back to church. And his wife was there. They were ecstatic. And they showed up every single Sunday thereafter health reasons cause them they, they can't come in that's healthy church so get the bigger picture we're not mean we're not judgmental we're not harsh we're doing what the bible says we need to do to have what a healthy body and if you didn't do this with your kids when they were growing up that might be why you have chaos in your home right now you're letting the kids run the house those little flesh balls instead of saying no it's for me in my house we're going to serve the lord and we're going to run it according to the word of god not according to your little wants. See, put this person out from underneath the protective umbrella of God's grace. That's what Paul is instructing these young Christians, to cleanse their body or their fellowship of this sinful purpose. You see, there's God's grace is, is a covering. That's what the church is for. Let the prince of this world, Ephesians 2.2 says this, have his way with that person. Colossians 1, 12 and 13 says, Always thanking the Father, he has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people, who live in the light. Notice that, who live in the light. This is out of the New Living Translation. As we live in the light, we have the benefits of the light. If we're living in the darkness, we're not going to get the benefits. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Ephesians 6, 12, which I referenced earlier. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Even as I'm sharing this right now, you might be having a wrestling going on inside of you. Who does this guy think he is? I'm never going back to the church. Blah, 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 blah. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You're starting to wrestle against me and you don't even know me. Don't wrestle against me. The wrestling match is in your own life. It's in your own head. It's in your own living together or prescription drugs or pornography or gambling or whatever it might be. That's the wrestling. It's spiritual. You need to get your eyes to heaven. You see, the enemy has power, so much so that he can even appear as an angel of light, the Bible tells us. Spiritual warfare is serious business and not to be taken lightly by any Christian. So Paul is instructing these young Christians at Corinth that this man's sin is nothing to boast about, but rather to be grieved over. 
And it's interesting how that many within the church body will grieve over church discipline. Hear that. They will grieve over church discipline and not grieve over the sin that is within their own lives. And the church are the bad people. The pastor is the bad guy. The enemy has twisted a biblical principle once again, and due to immaturity, many churches will overlook sin and not dare implement church discipline via Matthew 18. And uh, we don't have time for that, so you do your own study on that. Maybe we'll get to it in future studies. You see, they're afraid of offending someone within the flock instead of protecting the flock from an infection. But a little bit of sin left unchecked could cause that sin to permeate throughout the flock, and this can be disastrous to any church body. So you might be thinking, this sounds pretty harsh. I thought that we were supposed to be loving to everyone in the church. Uh, let's, let's take another analogy. Let's use the analogy of a doctor. You go to the doctor. Uh, I go to the doctor every year uh, for skin cancer just to be checked. And so say that he checks me and uh, he finds one little area in my back. I, I can't even see it, but he sees it back there. And, and so he does his thing and I hear him going, hmm, and ah, oh, mm, ah, yeah, turn around, lift up your arm, do oh, oh. And when he's all done, he goes, hey, you know what? You're in good shape. You're great. You're you're okay. See you in a year. And he doesn't tell me about that one little spot in my back that potentially could be cancer. He's the doctor. He knows this could be cancer. But you know what? I don't want to ruin his day. He came in here so happy. I don't want to ruin his day. You know, we'll we'll see what happens over the next 365 days. See what happens? Now, would you consider that a doctor? Would you consider him a friend? Would you want to go back to him if you found out about it? Would you refer him? Or would you warn everybody, do not go. See, you would do all of those things. But when it comes to church and spiritual things, everybody else is the bad guy. Everybody else is the bad guy. No, no, no. Be responsible. Grow up. Be mature. You see, yet some will see a church go through the necessary steps of church discipline, and that church is accused of shooting the wounded. How many have ever heard that phrase? Oh, you Christians, you just like to shoot your wounded. They don't know church discipline because they don't know the Bible. And hopefully a church that does do church discipline does it with love, grace, mercy, as we covered last week. And with this couple, I did it with love, grace, mercy. I made sure that they totally understood that they knew what was right and wrong, and they willingly told me right there to my face, we are not willing to give up our Social Security benefits. We're going to keep living together. Okay, that's your decision. That's your decision. You're not welcome back at the church. But they repented, and then they were welcomed back, and it was never brought up, never, never mentioned again. See, that's what it's all about, guys. That's what it's all about. Verse 8 of chapter 5. Therefore, let us keep the feast... Not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the, and I have this highlighted in my Bible. I encourage you to highlight your Bible. I encourage you to have a Bible. With the unleavened bread of what? What does your Bible say? Sincerity. Sincerity. I'm sincere about the faith. I'm not just playing church. I'm not just punching the clock. I'm sincere. I love God. And my flesh loves something that God says no so I got to crucify that, as Paul says. I got to crucify that and be right with God. I want to be sincere about my faith, which means I have to be truthful. And sometimes that hurts. And sometimes that means we have to make decisions 
that are hard to make. Malice is ill will. Wickedness is depravity, evil purposes and desires. Sincerity is judged by sunlight. Judged by sunlight. I wrote to you an epistle. Now here's something now. We take it away from the individual. Now again to the church as a whole. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. So this is actually what? 1 Corinthians is actually 2 Corinthians because Paul already wrote them. But the Holy Spirit gave us 1 Corinthians and this is what is in our Bibles. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. And I have this highlighted. Since then you would need to go to Mars. If we just go to Mars, we won't have any problems. How about if we build something on the moon? If we just get something on the moon, we won't have any problems, right? Everything will be better. Don't take anybody there because it won't get better. No. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. So Paul's saying, this this world is made up of sinners, and and I'm one. Now I'm a saint, but I still can have the tendency to sin. Don't think a whole lot about sin in their lives. They're living for the moment and what what it might take to make that moment satisfying. It's just a fact of life. So Paul makes it clear that you and I need to be a part of this world. If we're going to try to live in a bubble, sooner or later you'll come to realize that you're in that bubble and that's a problem. There have been great men and women of the faith who have tried to isolate themselves from the world only to find out that their fleshly nature is still with them in their isolation. Matthew 5, I'm going to read this real quick. We're running out of time. I want to write it down. Matthew 5, 14, 16. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, mankind, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, we're representatives of our Father. That's Matthew five fourteen through 16. You see, we're to be working next to the fornicator, the idolater, the person who covets or desires everything in sight. We're to be there so that they might see what makes us different as saints because they're the ain'ts. They haven't been saved yet. They're the ain'ts. We're the saints. We used to be ain'ts. Now we're saints. It's that simple. If we're going to try to not be around anyone like that, then we would need to leave this planet, which someday we will, praise God. But until then, we need to occupy or carry on with business. Verse 11. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral. So now now he's saying about the church as a whole. So as Christians. So now it goes from big, as Matt comes up, it goes from big to individual to now individually you as a person again, individually even more so. So now, but now I have written to you. Previous I wrote to you these things, but I'm writing to you again. I got to clarify this for you. To do what? But now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother. In other words, somebody says, I'm a Bible-believing Christian, but I'm going to do this anyways, whatever that might be. And you then find out about that. Now you, as a Bible-believing Christian, have a decision to make. What should the first thing you do be? Do be. You love them. You go to them humbly, mercy, grace. You take the word of God. You explain why it's wrong. Maybe they don't know why. You explain why it's wrong. You pray for them. You maybe pray with them. You ask them, can we get back together and do more discipling? Can we go over some more scriptures? But if they just say to your face, no. I know 
and I say no. That's it. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. But now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother or sister who is sexually immoral or covetous or idolater or violer or a drunkard or extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Don't sit down and break bread, which in that culture is different from today, but every culture revolves around food. We talked about this last night at dinner. Every culture, you go anywhere in the world, what's for dinner? What's for breakfast? What's for lunch? What are the restaurants around here? It comes up very quickly in your conversation. Every culture revolves around food. So food in the Jewish culture was they would have one loaf of bread. They would take the loaf of bread. They'd break a piece off. They'd pass it to the next person. Everyone around the table was handling the bread, eating from that same loaf. They were becoming one. They were becoming one. You got to understand the culture. They were becoming one with that individual through eating. So if I know someone's living in sin, we've talked about it, we've addressed it, and they just say, I don't care, I'm saying, well, I don't care either. Let's be one. You're still my friend. You're still my brother or sister in Christ. I, I, yeah, I don't care either. That's the importance of the scriptures. You have to guard your own walk. Otherwise, you could become infected. You hang around people long enough, they have an infection, good possibility you're going to become infected. That's, that's, again, reality, right? So we guard ourselves. For what have I to do judging those who are also outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? Notice this. Do you not judge them? You're to judge them. But with what? Grace, mercy, love, kindness, humility, all of those things that we want ourselves. But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from among yourselves the evil person. Church discipline. Wasn't that a great study? Oh, man, who wants to do this? I don't. And thank God, guys, in the 18 years we've been in church, I've had to do it maybe twice. It's, it's, so don't get miscued about what we're doing. We're going through the Word of God. It's, it's not like this happens all the time. It hardly ever happens. Because most people that come here love Jesus, love the Word of God. Most of the time, if something pops up, they don't even give us an opportunity to approach them. They just go find another church because now the cat's out of the bag. And they can live their life at another church. Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, if we didn't have your word, we wouldn't know how to discipline our kids. We wouldn't know how to be disciplined ourselves. We'd be a bunch of spoiled Christians running around causing chaos in every single church, in other families. So, Father, we thank you that you put parameters up. You put the bumpers on the alley so that we can get to heaven, that you keep us on course. So, Father, may our list of sins be very, 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 very short. May we confess them very quickly to you throughout the day, throughout the week. May we grow in grace and knowledge of your one and only Son, Jesus, that will become more like Jesus, not more like the pastor or Calvary Chapel, just more like Jesus. And as we've seen over these years, Father, because we're becoming more like Jesus, we don't have to deal with all of this nonsense. We don't have to deal with all the drama. We just take it back to the word of God. Are we right with the word of God? Hey, we're moving on. So Father, we thank you for the simplicity of Christianity. We're the ones that make it complex. Help us to keep it simple. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Let's stand, guys. If you'd like to talk to Caleb or Joseph, you guys are gonna, they're going to be up here at the front. Please come up and talk to them about the high school ministry. Also, if you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray with you. We will not condemn you. 
We'll pray with you. And if you want to be held accountable, we'd love to help you do that. If you want to leave and go to another church, you're free to do that. I don't think that's a wise choice, but obviously you can do that. I would say repent, get right with God, and let people love on you and you love on other people. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.